Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another edition of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the Kingdom of God. This is episode 29 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and um, uh, it's going to be a little different today, um, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was, uh, I just got back, I was gone this last weekend, I was gone for about, let's see, gone for six days, actually, uh, away from home. I went up to um, Northern Virginia uh, to visit my brother for a little bit. Hadn't seen him in a in a long time, and uh, it was good to get up there. We we just played. We had fun. It was Labor Day weekend, and um, um, we went. We did some shooting. We did some hiking. Um, we did a we did a long hike. Actually, we went. Um, we were in Shenandoah National Park. And we did a, uh, turned out to be a nine and a half mile uh, round trip hike. It was, it, we started at the trailhead and descended about 1,100 feet <laughs> into um, uh, a place called White Oak Canyon. And there's a whole bunch of uh, waterfalls. Um, when you get down there, the, I think it's called Cedar Run. I think that's the, that's the creek that flows through there. And there's, there's a bunch of different waterfalls all along that creek, and the the when you get down there, the trail kind of parallels that, and you just get to see you know a number of different waterfalls. Very very beautiful. Um, it was Labor Day weekend, so there were a ton of people on that trail, <laughs> and it was sort of sort of weird watching some of the people uh, you know out there in the middle of nature on the trail wearing their masks, <laughs> you know, even out in the you know where there's no chance of getting anything from anybody because you're just, you know, you're out there. Anyway, just kind of kind of bizarre um, doing that. But we had a blast. But, of course, what goes down must come up. So once we were done down there, we had to climb 1,100 feet back out. So it was about a nine-and-a-half-mile round trip. And uh, we were we were bone-tired when we got done. Um but it was a really good time. Um, we went swimming a little bit in the lake where my brother lives. Um, we just had a we just had a really good time. It was a good weekend to be uh, be with him and um, some of his friends up there. We got to spend some time with. But uh, I am back and um, trying to reengage. You know the the problem with being gone from uh, from anything for six days is you you really want to be gone f- more than that. <laughs> So uh, yesterday was my first full day back in the swing of things, and I didn't want to do anything yesterday. But anyway, so so here we are, um, d- going to do this podcast today. And I'm going to tell you up front, I'm not going to do a freedom episode today. Um, we we've been doing that the last couple of weeks, and um, but we're not doing we're not doing a freedom episode today. And I'll tell you why. The reason is. That our next topic in the freedom series, uh, the I think the Lord and I are still are still in conversation about some things related to that, and um, I, I just can't seem to make it flow just yet in a way that I'm really happy with. Um, that usually tells me that it's something that's just not ready yet. Um, you could say it's half baked, I suppose, but and that would be true. But one of the one of the spiritual lessons I've learned in in moving through life is 
just not to force things that aren't ready. You know, we we just sometimes we look at everything through the through the lens of uh, schedules and commitments and and got to get stuff done, got to get stuff done. And not everything works that way. Um, very very much in in the spiritual realm, a lot of things don't work that way. Um, God's doing th- things in this world that I need to respect and I need to give him time to do. So one of the big things I've learned is is just not to force things that aren't ready. In other words, if I'm just pushing and pushing and pushing and, and just can't seem to make the headway that I want to make, the answer probably is to not to keep pushing, but to kind of pull back a little bit um, and just let things develop in their own time. There may be something that the Lord is doing that I need to give him time to work out some more. And, and I could go ahead and do this. You know, I've got kind of a set of notes for, for like I usually do for this episode. And I could just go ahead and record that and just slap it up and get it done and move on. But that's not what this is all about for me with this podcast. I, I want this stuff to be really good and really helpful. And I'm, I'm just not going to... Um, crank out an episode a week it just just to stay on some sort of schedule if that episode is not going to be really something that I I feel is good and helpful okay so so I'm going to give that episode another week to kind of uh, bake and develop uh, I will spend some more time thinking about all that and praying about it and hopefully when I do record it next week it'll be really really good um, I'm not going to do it if it's not so there we are so what are we going to talk about today? Well, I'm going to make um, what may sound like a pretty audacious statement right here on the front end, and then we're going to say some things, and we're going to do kind of a Paul Harvey sort of thing and come back and and pick this up again uh, a little bit later. Um, and here's here's the statement. If you read the Bible the way Jesus read the Bible, or you read the Bible the way Paul read the Bible, or you read the writer the read the Bible the way the writer of Hebrews or or Peter or any of the apostles read the Bible. You will fail seminary classes. How about that? That's your that's your Paul Harvey teaser there. Okay, and in a little bit you'll get the the rest of the story. I want to talk briefly today, and this is not going to be a long episode, but I want to talk about how we read the Bible and maybe how we should read the Bible, okay? But in order to have this discussion, I feel like I need to define a few terms and, and kind of lay lay out a few guidelines, right? So um, I, I want to I want to just start by defining a few terms that you will hear if you if you do any reading at all about how to how to read the Bible or how to interpret the Bible. You're gonna you're gonna run across these terms. And you may be familiar with them, you may know what they are. But uh, in case you don't, I, I want to at least give you that so we can discuss this stuff and you actually know what we're talking about. Um, uh, so so that we're all on the same page here. Uh, the first word is the word exegesis. Uh, and you may have heard that um, if you listen to church leaders or biblical scholars, you will no doubt have heard that word. Um, so what does the word exegesis means, mean? 
Um, exegesis is the task of discovering the original intended meaning of a given text through careful, systematic study. Okay, and this is this is the place to start when we when we want to understand the Bible. We start here. We start with exegesis. We start with um, discovering, trying to discover the original intended meaning of a given text. Okay, um, it's an effort at, at reaching back into history to understand the original author and their audience. Okay, um, this is really important. You know, we live in the 21st century. The, the the writers of the Bible lived, you know, in the in the New Testament that lived in the first century. In in terms of the Old Testament, they lived way before that. Um, they had a different culture. They had a different language, which is now translated into English, so we can read it. Um, they just had different values. They 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 just saw the world in different ways. And if we think none of that matters we do ourselves a great disservice and we run the risk of, of really failing to grasp the, what Scripture is all about. So we have, to, um, we, we have to try to figure out where they're coming from, who they're writing to, what the time period is, what the circumstances is, what the, what the geographical setting is, and what are, they, what are they trying to accomplish in the things that they're writing for their audience at that time. Okay, That's exegesis. And we start there. We need to start there, okay? The second term that you're going to hear thrown around is the word hermeneutics. So hermeneutics is a little different than exegesis. Hermeneutics is a task that um, tries to find the, the contemporary relevance for ancient texts. It's about asking um, questions about what does this passage mean to me in, in the here and now, Okay. Um, a lot of people start there. A lot of people just read their Bible and say, well, what does this mean to me? And how do I say this? I, I don't want to say that's a mistake, but you're leaving, you're leaving some stuff out that's really important and you're leaving, um, you're leaving yourself kind of open to some, to some problems, right? The, the Word of God is living and active, um, God speaks through his word. So if you're reading the Bible and God just jumps out at you through something you read, I've, I've talked about this, right? This happened to me. I, I, I went at length a, a week or two ago talking about Psalm 139, right? And how God spoke to me in Psalm 139. So I don't want to say that's not valid because, because it can be. But I think I think we do ourselves a disservice if we think that we don't have to pay attention to original context or author intention or, or, or any of that stuff. I think we, I think we, can, um, we can get to a place where we sort of invent our own meaning for the text. Okay, So um, the interpretive task doesn't begin with hermeneutics because the, the only proper control for hermeneutics is an understanding of the original intent of the biblical biblical text. So if your if your hermeneutics is not controlled by good exegesis, you you run the risk of ending way up off in the weeds um, somewhere to what to one degree or another. Okay. Now again, God can trump everything, right? If He wants to to as you're reading a passage, if He wants to 
um, grab your heart and lead you a certain direction, that's that's valid. I would say I don't think God is going to do that in a way that undermines the meaning of the original text. Okay, so that's just some important things to keep in mind. The other final term that I, that that I think we should at least discuss for a second or two is the term historical critical exegesis, or sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the historical critical method. Okay, the historical historical critical exegesis embraces a number of approaches or methods, um, all of which have the objective of trying to reconstruct in a critical way um, the historical context in which the biblical text had their origin. So that sounds a lot like regular exegesis, right? But I think the key word, in my view, of of the term historical critical exegesis, the, the key word that I think it bears paying attention to and talking about a little bit is the word critical. Because the word critical can have positive connotations and it can also have negative connotations. Um, in its most positive slant, uh, critical can mean you're approaching a text open-mindedly, but with an intelligent and thoughtful eye. You're, you're aware of where your biases are. You're, you're trying to find out if the author had any biases. You know, you're you're not just immediately accepting it as face at face value. You're you're trying to understand where where the author's coming from, okay? With a with a bit of a a helpful positive critical eye, okay? Sometimes though, in an attempt to be thoughtful and aware of your of your writer's circumstances and biases and so forth, interpreter interpreters can become almost hostile to the writer's original perspective. That is that is critical in a negative slant. And as I have navigated around um, seminaries a lot, I have found that loads and loads and loads of people have um, have used this this sort of critical idea in a very negative way. Right, almost like I read the Bible and. I, I absolutely can't. The idea is I can't believe this as as it stands. I like I there's there's obvi- it's obviously flawed. I just don't know what the flaws are. I have to find something, right? I I have met loads and loads and loads of people, some professors even, who almost if you don't find something to critique in a passage, you're not doing your work, right? Like you have to you have to find some bias or flaw or negativity in it. Um, Loads of people who are not Christians uh, who, and who are not trying to live the Christian life um, interpret the Bible that way. Uh, they tend to view the Bible with something of a hostile int- attitude or intent as though the Bible is something that needs to be dismantled and torn down by our modern you know, proclivities. I'm going to go out on a limb, and it's not really out on a limb because there's some real heavy hitter scholars that that agree with me on this, or maybe I should say I agree with them. I don't believe you're ever going to understand the Bible correctly if you're not a Christian attempting to follow its teachings. Okay, um, so the, the, the critical. It's okay to be a little critical as long as you're submissively critical, right? And some people are going to hear that and say. You're just a you're just a moron. Well, okay, whatever. All right, we're going to move on. 
Um, I want to I want to point out just a couple of uh, kind of hard and fast guidelines for biblical interpretation that I, I think almost every Christian teacher would agree on, and and this is by no means a full treatment on the principles of biblical interpretation. That would take several episodes um, to, to to flesh all that out. Okay, so this is not this is not everything you need to know about biblical interpretation. Um, I will put a, a link in the show notes for a pretty good book um, that kind of helps you walk through um, the issues of biblical inter- biblical interpretation and learn to, to read the Bible productively and honestly. Okay, The book is called um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's been around for a long time. It is a very, very good book, uh, I think, for at least getting you oriented in the right direction. Okay, And I'm going to put a link for that in the show notes. So you can pick that up um, at Amazon or wherever, and 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 you will find it helpful. You really will. But I do want to point out a few things that I think are particularly important in terms of kind of uh, principles or or guidelines as you approach Scripture. And these things are just going to help keep us out of the weeds a little bit. And these are important. And the first is always pay attention to context. Um, know what the writer was trying to do with his particular audience and his time setting, okay? Nearly all biblical texts are written to a specific people in a specific time and in a specific place. It's it's situational, okay? And that means you have to careful be have to be careful about reading 21st century understandings back into the world of the ancient Near East. You just do, right? They they were different people. They're they're doing different things. And you have to kind of respect that a little bit. We have an obligation to find out as much as possible about the circumstances surrounding a, a particular passage. That will help us understand what the writer was trying to say in his time and in his circumstances to his audience and avoid forcing him to address everything that we might be interested in. And that brings us to the second guideline, and that is this. Don't ask the Bible to answer questions it was never designed to answer. So let me give you a couple of examples about that. One thing that has been contentious forever is the idea of um, the origins of um, the cosmos um, in Genesis one and two. Okay, so we try to we look at that and we say we we try to arrive at some specific, concrete scientific answers to how the Earth was formed. All right. I want to say that is not what the Bible was written to, to tell us. Okay, we're asking questions of a text that the that the that the Bible was never written to address. Okay, questions of of origins, at least in the terms of the the how things happened. That's not that's just not stuff the Bible's interested in at all. Okay, um, the Bible is a theological book. It's not a science book. Right? So the emphasis in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God created. Okay? And it really gives us zero information as to the how or the, or the, you know, lots of other things that we get preoccupied with. All right? So we get way off in the weeds and then we find ourselves fighting battles that we just don't need to fight because we've, 
we've tried to force the Bible into an- answering questions it was never designed to answer. And then we, because we, we think we're doing that, we come to convictions that we think we have to fight over and defend. I, I, think, I think the Bible and science are not at odds with each other at all. I think to the extent that the Bible addresses scientific things, it's spot on. But it doesn't address scientific things hardly at all. All right? So we have to be careful. Um, an, another, another little kind of contemporary example is, um, well, what is, uh, what is the proper diet that we all should eat? Let's go to Scripture and try to find that. You know, you, you've seen books on that and stuff. <sighs> Scripture's not trying to tell us that, <laughs> okay? Um, there, there are dietary things in Scripture for sure, but those are almost always theological in nature, right? And there's some, there's some theological things that are going on behind those dietary restrictions, particularly for Israel, that really have no, no bearing on, on, you know, health or well-being or dietary guidelines for modern humans. None of that. But we, again, we get way off in the weeds and we try to make big points and sell books and the whole business. So the Bible is a theological book. Again, it's not a science book. It's not a diet book. It's not a, you know, you fill in the blank book. It is not a book that is given to us to answer every question we might ever have. It is a book given to us to guide us in our pursuit of God and the living out of our lives in communion with Him and for the sake of others. That is the purpose of Scripture. Let that be enough. And don't, don't think that it's, it's the ultimate answer book for, for... Don't think it's, you know, Wikipedia. <laughs> okay? All right. And now, the rest of the story. So back to my original statement. If you read the Bible the way Jesus or Paul or any of the rest of the biblical writers read the Bible, you will fail seminary classes. And that is true because neither Jesus nor Paul nor Peter do historical critical exegesis. (laughs) They don't care about context. They know what's true and therefore they find it in Scripture. And let me just say that, um, in case you're having some cognitive dissonance over all this, I am a big believer in understanding the context and circumstances and audience of the biblical writers. That stuff is hugely helpful to us in the 21st century because we don't understand how people lived in the 1st century or the 300s BC or the 1500s BC. We just don't understand some of that stuff. And so if we're going to grasp that, I think we need to do some of that, okay? That is hugely helpful to us here in the 21st century. But that is not what Jesus did. And that is not what Paul did. Richard Hayes, who is a a highly respected New Testament scholar from uh, Duke Divinity School, says, this is a quote, He says, the Apostle Paul would fail my exegesis class. (laughs) And and again, he says that because Paul doesn't do things the way we do. Some people have called what Paul and Jesus did, um, they've used the term apostolic exegesis. It's what we might call 
um, Christocentric exegesis or Christ-centered exegesis. And here's the idea. We know the story. And when you know, you know, it's like you're reading a novel. When you know the story of a novel, you know how to put the other parts together. Now, the first time you read the novel, you may not know the whole thing until you until you get to the end, right? But the next time you read that, you're going to know what's happening. We watched a movie. Um, we watched a movie last night. What was it? Oh, it was. Wait, am I thinking of the right movie? We've watched a, a number of movies over the last three or four days. Um, can't remember which movie this is that I'm thinking about. We watched a movie, and we've seen it four or five or six times. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was Aquaman. It was the new movie Aquaman. Uh, new as in last year, I think. Um, you know, I have I have seen that movie now five or six times, and I I see things. You know how this is. Can you watch a movie and you, or you read a book and you read it a couple of times and you see things second or third or fourth or fifth time through that you just didn't notice before. But now that you know the whole story, you kind of you kind of have coat hangers, so to speak, of you like I can hang something here and here and here because I know the story now. I know the whole flow of where this is going. And because it's so, you can put things together in a way that you might not otherwise. The Bible is a story. It is a story from Genesis to Revelation. And we know, because we've read the whole thing now, right? You have read the whole thing, right? Um, we know the story. And because we know the story, we can piece things together and in ways that the original authors might not have done, might not have been able to do, probably couldn't do, right? Um, as Christians, we know the whole story. We know that the solution to the, to the whole story of God in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament is the gospel about Jesus Christ. So the, the early church from Jesus to the Apostle Paul to Peter to Hebrews to John into the second century, they all found Christ in the Old Testament in ways that Old Testament professors are revolted by <laughs> because they knew where they stood. Okay. Um, I, I believe we need to adopt that to agree to a degree. Not that we need to abandon historical critical exegesis. Not that we need to quit paying attention to context or things like that. I have been schooled in historical critical exegesis, and I think it's important and useful and very helpful in understanding the text, especially if you're a Christian and you're trying to live this stuff out. But we are not done when we've studied the context of, say, Matthew 5, 17 through 20 in the, in the Jewish world, and we understand what Jesus is saying in that context. We're not done just because we, we've done that little bit of work. We need to let that historical contextual study blossom and flourish through what we know to be true in light of the whole story. We need to let the gospel itself transform our reading of these texts so that Jesus becomes central in how we understand the Bible. The Bible is more than a textbook, and if you just try to approach it as a textbook, you're going to miss some stuff. 
It is a witness to God's work in the world, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah. And knowing that whole story gives us a level of interpretive insight into what God was doing way back when people didn't know that whole story. We read the Bible through and in light of Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. We read the Bible through and in light of his fulfillment of all that came before. And that doesn't mean we can slack off in our interpretive work and and practice kind of a lazy, fuzzy exegesis where we just shut off our brains and feel our way along. Not at all. I I know people that do that. I know people that, like, they don't want to study Scripture. They don't want to work at it. They just want to read it and and sort of whatever whatever floaty idea pops into their head as they read it. They think that well, that's it's it's the spirit, right? I, I say that I'm, I'm sounding kind of nasty when I say that. I don't mean that. But if you're just wanting a lazy approach and think that that's getting it for you, nobody in the New Testament. Paul or Peter, none of those guys practiced a lazy approach to Scripture. They didn't just read it and whatever flighty idea popped into their head, they just went with it. Nobody did that. They studied these words, right? They they talked about them with other believers and, and, and had kind of a communal discernment and a communal teaching. There were teachers in Israel. There were teachers in the New Testament, Right? So we're not talking about just some floaty flighty kind of thing. We need to do our work. But we allow Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection to give meaning and purpose and direction, even momentum to the rest of Scripture. And when we do that, I think we come a lot closer to the heart of God for this world. And that is where we want to be. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, As always, we'd appreciate it if you'd tell others about this podcast. Um, If you enjoy the show, please rate us, review us, all that stuff, you know. Uh, Please visit our Facebook group uh, for the Jesus Society podcast. Uh, Check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, you are greatly loved.